Good morning. How's everybody? Anybody, everybody alive? I was going to say anybody alive, but uh, that's what you say at the church down the road. If you're dead, raise a hand and we'll pray for you first off. No takers. It's, uh, I really enjoyed your worship this morning that uh, many of you know I, I travel extensively. This is, we've been doing this over 35 years, traveling about four months a year to churches all over the globe. And uh, over the last five years, I found that there's been what I consider an unhealthy uh, move in worship in that a lot of the recent worship songs that are being written, they're technically very good songs, but they focus more on the blessings of God than the blesser himself. In fact, some of the most popular worship songs that are being sung in a church's day, they don't even contain the name of Jesus in the lyrics. And uh, all of the songs you sang this morning were about the name of the Lord, the person of Jesus. Years ago, I, I read a book that was written in the 1920s, and it was about revivalists over the last 2,000 years. And it covered many men and women that God has used powerfully in church history. But it made a, a, a very important distinction. It said that those ministries that started off what would be called Christocentric, centered on Jesus, but then ended up theocentric, just focused on the things of God. A lot of them ended up being cultic leaders by the time they were finished. But those that started off Christocentric and remained focused on the person of Jesus, not just the blessings, but the person of Jesus, they ended well. He is the name that's above all names. And I want to speak into that a little bit. In... uh, John chapter 6, you don't need to turn to this, I'm just going to read two verses to you. But John chapter 6, starting verses 28 and 29, uh, Jesus really in John chapter 6 began to speak something very, very difficult for the people to understand. He said, you're going to have to eat of my body and drink of my blood. And he talked about himself being the bread of life. And it was, you know, people just couldn't put that into... Uh, how are they supposed to perceive that? What did that mean? And we can think of communion where we do that uh, ritual by faith, you know, taking of the elements. But really, Jesus was speaking of the fact that when the Spirit was given after his resurrection, he wanted to be so much a part of our lives that we're like the food that we take in. And, uh, you know, doctors or scientists say that every seven years, Every single cell in your body is, re, is exchanged, replenished at least once. And when we take in Jesus, who he is, his word, his goodness, when we worship him and pray to him and focus our lives upon him, this incredible transformation begins to take place. And in John 6, verse 28, they said to Jesus, What should we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, the Christ that he has sent. And that name of Jesus, it has so much life, so much healing, so much restoration. I think of the story of Jairus, the religious leader that came into him and said, my daughter is very, very sick, sick unto death. Would you come and pray for her? And so as Jesus is walking with Jairus towards his house, the messengers came and they said, don't bother the master any longer, your daughter has died. And Jesus turns to Jairus and said, do not be afraid, only believe. And my wife and I, we have three children, they're grown now, but it doesn't matter what they they are, when you're a father or a mother, they're still your children. If I was over here on this trip and I got a uh, a message or a phone call that one of my children had passed on, you know, and somebody, no matter how well intending they had been, uh, had leaned over to me and said, don't be afraid, only believe, it's all going to be okay. My first reaction would be to slap them up the side of the head and say, don't you understand, my child has just died. How can you speak so glibly, so t- trivially you know, about this? But God Jesus had an entirely different perspective on things. And you know the story, when he got there, he raised the young girl from the dead. I was just this uh, Friday night in Preston, 
And uh, we had a, a really encouraging testimony, and a lot of the testimonies of healings and miracles that uh, happen in the meetings I do, sometimes I don't find out about those till years later, because it'll be a year, sometimes five years later, before I'm back in that church. And a woman came up with her 14-year-old daughter in the meeting and testified, and she said, 14 years ago, I was very pregnant, about six or seven months, I think, pregnant with my daughter, but we began to have major complications And the doctors told me I was definitely going to lose the child. There was no hope whatsoever. And she said I was in constant pain. It was difficult to move. Even getting out in and out of cars was difficult. But she said some friends convinced me to go to a meeting about two hours away in the Midlands where you were speaking at. And you spoke about healing that night. And she said, I'm sitting there in incredible pain. I'm thinking I'm losing my child. And, you know, this guy's talking about healing. You know, what a pipe dream. And I think I had a word of knowledge about a woman who was uh, suffering with uh, a a pregnancy. And uh, reluctantly, she came forward. And she testified that when we prayed for her, at that moment, she didn't sense anything at all. But I said to her, the Holy Spirit's touching you right now. And she just looked at me, she said, and said, well, that would be nice, as you know. But, you know, here's the interesting thing about our faith, is Jesus never said you need faith the size of a mountain to move a mustard seed of a problem. He said if you've just got a little bit of faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, a world of difficulties that are impossible for you. And she went back, and uh, about 10 minutes later, she's seated there, and we had a a pretty outrageous miracle that then happened. A man who had been in a wheelchair for many years, he'd had MS, got healed, and he's up walking. And she said, I've got to see this. I don't believe it, but I've got to see it. And she actually thought the church had paid the man to come in like he was an actor. You know, he really didn't have MS. But she jumps up on her chair to see this. And her husband says, what in the world are you doing? And all of a sudden, she realized she just jumped up on her chair, what had been 10 minutes before almost impossible for her. And she said, I don't know. She got off the chair and jumped back up again. And she was at that point 100% healed. And there she was testifying Friday night in Preston with her 14-year-old daughter that the doctors had told her the baby's gone. There's nothing that could be done. The name of Jesus, it is the name above all names. And we like to say that God is love, and that's true, God is love. Everything he will do in your life and my life comes in the context of his love. But I want to read to you uh, from Psalm 138, verse 2. The psalmist said, I bow towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Above everything else, God exalts his name and his word, the reality of Jesus. And this name, Jesus, Yeshua, it is the name above all names. It is the only name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved in that. And I believe that God wants to bring the contemporary church a fresh revelation of the name and the wonder and the majesty of Christ Jesus. Three of you are excited. I'm glad. We'll keep going. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe not only that he is, but also he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what does it mean that we pray In the name of Jesus, as Jesus instructed us. What does it mean that we call upon the name of the Lord? What does it mean that we worship the name of Jesus? It seems like every generation wants to recreate God in our image. And you can find a whole bunch of bad blogs and books out there right now saying that God works really hard at being culturally relevant. But I'm sorry, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great I am, and we're the great we're not. (laughs) We are created in his image and called according to live according to his ways, not him modify his theology to fit our ways. 
back in the 17th century in Scotland, there was a uh, Christian theologian and poet and a writer by the name of William Cowper. And he was a songwriter, and one of his songs called God Moves, or poems called God Moves in a Mysterious Way, he said this, God is his own interpreter and will make himself plain. And so with all the blogs out there, all the podcasts, all the books, all the teachings about Jesus, what does the Bible actually say about Jesus, his name? And that's what I want to speak to you about uh, this morning. Yeshua, the name actually means in Hebrew, Jehovah himself has become our salvation. And it's a prophetic name because it speaks about the fact that Jesus left would leave the right-hand side of the Father, being worshipped by the angels. He did not regard his equality with the Father, something he grasped, but he made himself as a human, fully God but fully man. And he lived and served here on earth to give his life for us. Yeshua, it is the only name under heaven and earth. I was speaking at a uh, pastor's conference a few years ago, and some friends of mine from another city had come. And, uh, you know, uh, Dave and Julie have been good friends for a number of years now. And uh, one of the things I appreciate about Dave, he's typical of most of my good friends, he's a bit of a smart aleck. <laughs> most of my friends have, a, have an acute sense of humor. In fact, I would say they're sarcastic, but I won't go that far. But uh, during the worship at this pastor's conference, you know, and during the preaching, there was one guy that, you know, was just really caught up in the name of Yeshua. And uh, sometimes during the worship, sometimes while I was speaking, he'd stand up and say, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. And after about the fourth or fifth time he had done this, my friends who were sitting a few rows away, they looked at one and said, yes, we're sure. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so sometimes things are lost in transition or translation. But I want to talk about this name and um, Jesus, Yeshua and what it really means and the power in that name. We have a video testimony on our website of a really unique miracle that happened uh, actually about 13 years ago. And I didn't find out about this miracle till three years ago when we shot a uh, video with the father and the son who was healed many years ago. And uh, in the video testimony, the father and son relate that uh, 13, 14 years ago now, They came to some meetings I was doing in the West Coast of the United States. And the son at that point had had severe epilepsy for five years. He was in the top 98 percentile of epilepsy. And the neurologist said, you know, you're you're never going to have a normal life. Your life life is probably not going to go on a long time. And uh, you're not going to probably be able to finish school and all these things, you know. But the father and mother were Christians. They believed that God answered prayer. And so they got prayer every chance they got. And in the video testimony, the father says, on the last night of four nights of meetings, as I was walking out, he grabbed me and said, do you have one more prayer? And he related that he thought that every night as he brought his son that uh, I would give a word of knowledge about God wanting to heal people with epilepsy, but that didn't happen. And he says, I should have had my my son home in bed because he has his seizures at night, but we brought him. Can't you just pray for him? And he says in the testimony, he said, you prayed for him, but I was angry at you because you only prayed 10 seconds. And And he said, that's it? That's all I get after four nights when he should have been home in bed? And, I, and as I'm interviewing him, or a friend of mine actually is interviewing him in the video testimony, he said, well, what did Mark pray? And he said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit of affliction called epilepsy, and I pull those hooks out, and I bless you to be healed in Jesus' name. And that's it. I was tired, probably hungry, going to a restaurant, so I'm out the door. Uh, but uh, he said that week, they went to, on the Friday to their monthly neurological checkup, And that was the first week in five years that his son had no no seizures. The doctor put on the electrodes on the brain, monitoring the brain waves as they do, and the doctor said, something is different. I'm not seeing the normal epileptic uh, signs here. And he said, well, you know, doctor, we're Christians. And he said, yes. He said, well, my son was prayed for Sunday night in the name of Jesus, and he has had no seizures. We believe God has done a miracle. 
And the doctor really, you know, um, almost had a love for this uh, young man, but, and he wasn't a Christian, but he said, well, why don't we wait another month, and then we'll say whether a miracle has happened. So now five weeks have gone by, no seizures, and the doctor does all the testing he can think of. He sits down with the mother and father and said, in all the years I've been studying and treating neurological issues, I've never seen or heard anything like this. He said, we cannot find one trace of epilepsy in your son's brain patterns. And the, the medication that young man was on was so strong, it took two years to slowly take him off of that. He went on to learn how to swim. He made the swim team in high school. He made the water polo team. He learned how to surf. And when I met him at 22, 23 years of age, he was actually now in the United States Marine training young recruits in physical fitness. And the name of Jesus. Now, normally when I pray for people, I pray a lot longer than 10 seconds. But I was hungry, you know. We're all a little bit human, right? So... But normally I'll pray several minutes, sometimes longer, and there's some people I've prayed, like you, I've prayed and prayed and prayed for. But at the end of the day, it is the name of Jesus that has this life in it. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah prophesied over 713 years before Jesus was born, he gave a prophetic word about Jesus And he said, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the kingdom or the government will rest on his shoulders. And he goes on to name prophetically four names about Jesus. He said his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. So let's talk briefly about these four names First of all, the wonderful counselor. God knows your days before any one of them began. In fact, your name is written in the book of life as you give your life to him. And he knows the plans he has for you. He knows the purposes he has for you. He knows the unique personality he's given you. And the unique thing about your unique personality, if you get too unique, we have counseling to help you out. But that's another message. But he knows all of your days. He knows the good plans. And he is the best counselor of all. We face so many choices in life. In fact, we face so many problems and tribulations, biblically speaking, in life. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed by, do we turn to the left? Do we turn to the right? Do we stop? Do we go back? And what, what, where is the wisdom with so many voices coming at us? But Isaiah also prophesied later on that as you seek God, you will hear a voice behind you in your ear saying, turn this way or turn that way. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God to give you all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. And that when we come to God in faith, believing he rewards us, even when we're confused, even when we're in just a highly problematic situation, he knows the plans. He will lead you and guide you. One of my best friends, his name is Randy Stout, and Randy owns a very uh, unique company. Their company makes files used by blacksmiths and farriers for working on horses' hooves. They're one of the largest makers of these horseshoe files in the world. But as the economy in 2008 in the United States got really bad, uh, and it affected things all over the world, and uh, the sales went down. But what happened is their number one competition, a company in China, went on a campaign for a couple of years to put Randy's business out of business. And the company in China radically dropped the prices of their uh, files, and uh, Randy just couldn't compete with that because Randy paid his employees good wages and good insurance, and that wasn't the case in China. And so Randy and his partner, both strong Christians, began to seek God and said, God, we've got 35 employees. We feel a responsibility for their well-being, for the finances, for their families. God, all wisdom and creativity belong to you. Lead us and guide us what we should do. And over a two-month period, God began to download to to Randy an idea of a new sort of file for blacksmiths to work with on horses' hooves. 
And when Randy told me the story, I was really amazed by this, so I began to research uh, horseshoes and horses and all this. And by some accounts, they've been putting horseshoes on horses for at least a 1,000 years, but possibly in some areas of the world for 1,500 years. So what that means is that horseshoes on horses, it's not a brand-new high-tech industry. It's not like your latest iPhone that you've got to update it every six months with the latest thing that comes out there. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to horseshoes. But this new file, it was very, very different And Randy's company, they made a few of them. They had some blacksmiths test it out. And the blacksmith said, this is really cool. This is great, but it'll never sell. It's too different. But Randy and his his partner knew God had given this idea, so they took out a patent on it. And in the last almost 10 years now, they have literally sold millions of these around the world. And as the economy began to go bad in the United States in 2008, 2009, Many manufacturers began to lay people off, began to close their doors, cut back on shifts. Many people lost their jobs, their pensions, and whatnot. Randy's company actually hired more people than uh, they'd had. They started new shifts, and they actually had to build a bigger building for the workers to work. And in Psalm 37, it says, the righteous will prosper even during a time of famine. How do we come into that? By the wisdom and the leading of God. Jesus is your wonderful counselor. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. The second name he gave was Mighty God. In some uh, passages of the Bible, it's El Shaddai, the God who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. In Luke chapter 1, verses 37 and 38, when the angel Gabriel appeared to the young woman Mary, and said, a child is going to be born to you, and this child will be the Christ, the Messiah. She said, how can this be? You know, I'm not married, never been with a man. But the angel responded to her, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary had one of the greatest responses to a word of the Lord of anyone in all the Bible, she said, let it be done according to your word. She didn't say, let it be done according to my understanding or according to my wisdom. Let it be done according to your word. I do a lot of ministry in the UK every year for many years, and so I want to relate to another miracle that actually happened in London in Harrow about six years ago. It was a Sunday morning like this. We were doing a series of meetings, and a young woman comes up to me, and she's about 22, and she said, my mother is in the hospital. She's got severe leukemia, and uh, they expect, they're giving her bone marrow transplant, but they don't think she's going to survive. They expect her to die from this. And they said, even if she survives the bone marrow transplant, she's going to live at the most for two more years. And her daughter said, I was reading in the book of Acts how they would take a piece of clothing to Paul and pray for it, and the Lord would anoint it with miracle power, and they'd take the sick person, a healing would happen. She said, I can't bring my mother to the meeting. She can't leave the hospital. But do you suppose that God can still do the same thing today as in the book of Acts? I said, yes, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. So Sunday night, she shows up with a scarf of her mother's, And we prayed on it. We said, Lord, would you release your miracle power upon this? And how does that work? I don't have a clue. I just knew we prayed in the name of Jesus that God would do that. She took it to the hospital. Her mother, it's it's actually in Elam, Pentecostal church there in Harrow, I was with. Her mother didn't go to that church. Her mother didn't go to any Protestant churches. She went to a Catholic church, good Catholic lady. Her mother's name is Mary Patel. We also have a video interview with her and her daughter on our website. And she says, Mom, this is what happened. Can I pray for you? And her mom says, yes. So she spreads the scarf out over her mother and prayed for her. Her mother was in so much pain uh, for months now due to the leukemia, she was not able to sleep much at night, but she fell into a deep sleep that night. And she says in the video testimony that all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, she woke up wide awake, just like, you know, your telephone goes off or something. And uh, she said she could see Jesus standing in the hospital room. She had never experienced anything like that, but she recognized him immediately. And um, she yelled out three times. She was so scared. 
Jesus, 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 and then he disappeared. She scared him right off. No, but uh, that didn't happen. But uh, sometimes God manifests his presence in unique ways just to really encourage us that he is the Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And he disappeared. She ended up falling back into this sleep, and she woke up in the morning feeling really good for the first time in a couple of years. And she ends up about a week, two weeks later, checking herself out of the hospital. The doctors were so nervous about this, they made her sign a legal waiver. And uh, again, they'd said she's probably not going to survive the bone marrow transplant, but even if she does, she'll live at the most two years. Well, that was five years ago, and last June, I was with that church there in Harrow, and she now attends that church, and she is 100% healthy. She is just, you know, fit as can be. Her name is, as I said, Mary Patel. You can check this out. I I like the story in Mark chapter 9 about when the father, who has the demonized son, the demons would sometimes cause the son to try to jump into fire or drown himself in a pool of water, And he brings them to the disciples, and they can't really get too far. And then he comes to Jesus and said, can you do anything? And, uh, you know, Jesus is a little bit frustrated here. I sometimes wonder if uh, Jesus had any hair up here, because I think he was continually going, oh, Lord, you know, what's going on here? But uh, he said, can you do anything? And Jesus said to him, if I can... And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And you know the story, the testimony that I I told you that I heard a couple nights ago in Preston. The thing I like about it is the woman who had been told she was losing her baby and was in so much pain, could hardly walk, she really didn't want to come up for prayer. She did it rather reluctantly. And even when I said to her, the Holy Spirit's touching you right now, God is working, her attitude was, yeah, 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 that'd be nice. But the fact is, she was in the right place at the right time. The fact is, she agreed to make that journey, that difficult journey for her for two hours. And the fact is that even though she was not, could not understand this and believe this in her mind, She had faith the size of a mustard seed enough to come up and get prayer. And I really want to encourage you about this because sometimes when we hear messages on faith and belief, we put the weight upon ourselves and we think, i got to believe, i got to believe, i got to believe. But faith is really a gift that God gives. And like this man, when we say, Lord, I do believe, but help my own belief, God will respond to that. All we need is just enough faith to say, help me, Lord. That's one of the great prayers we have in the United States in ministry circles. It goes like this, help me, Jesus, help me. But uh, Jesus, you know, he said, nothing's impossible again to this man. And he cried out, help my unbelief. And then Jesus delivered and cast out the demon out of the, out of the young boy. And the father's heart, his cry was answered. The third name that Isaiah gave Jesus was Everlasting Father. And although there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus was called here the Father because he's the perfect representation of God the Father. He is the Word, the Logos. He is the perfect representation of the Father as the Word of God. My, uh, my son David is 23 years old. And each generation is very different. When I was 23 years old, I thought it was dressed up if I had on a long sleeve t shirt. (laughs) For him, quite often, you know, when he goes out and about, he wears like uh, real preppy clothes, you know, and he uh, oftentimes wears a tie. And I'm always saying, Why are you wearing the tie? He says, Because I want to. Get off my back, Dad. And uh, a few years ago, when he was about 19, he got into this bow tie thing. And he wanted for Christmas a real bow tie, not the snap-on kinds, but the old-fashioned ones that you got to tie yourself. And so uh, this is about three or four years ago. I'm uh, scheduled to preach in my home church that morning, and I'm running late. So I come out of the bedroom. I'm running, about to run down the stairs, jump in the car, and drive off to church. 
And my son David comes out of his bedroom, and he's got a traditional tie, but he, he wasn't able to tie it correctly. He said, Dad, would you help me with your tie? It's amazing how life works. I don't like ties, but I'm good at tying ties. My son David likes ties, but he can't tie ties. <laughs> so I put down my Bible, my car keys, and I looked at it, and it was a mess. I completely undid the knot and straightened it all out and tied it up. <clears throat> and the question is, why would I do that if I was late for a very important meeting? But the fact is, as a father, I want my son, I want my children looking good. And I'm not talking about just physically, but God the Father wants us to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ, as Paul talked about the garments of Christ. And God the Father, his heart for you and I is to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And I love that story of, um, in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. And you know the story, a very wealthy father had two sons. The oldest one always worked hard, was always on it, you know. But the youngest one, he said, wait, you know, we have all the money we could possibly ever need. And why should I work so hard like you, dad, and like my brother? And he said, give me my half of the inheritance. So the father gave it to him, and he went off to a foreign land and wasted it all on sin and different things. And finally, he ends up completely broke. He lost it all, and he's starving. And so he says to himself, I'll go back to my father. He will not receive me as a son, but maybe he'll give me a job working as a servant so I don't starve to death. But if you've read the story, you know that when he came near the father after several days' journey, his clothes and his shoes are in tatters, you know, and he's just uh, barely able to function. But it says the father saw him from a long ways off. And rather than standing there with an attitude, tapping his foot, the father about to say, what do you want? It says the father ran across the fields, and the father embraced his son. And uh, he put on him new shoes, meaning a freedom to walk in the goodness of God. He gave him a ring, representing authority and provision in his life. But he took off his jacket and put on a very expensive uh, jacket upon his son. He dressed him up in his goodness. He covered his own misery with his goodness. But the interesting part of the story is that he then threw a party for his son, called all the neighbors, the servants, and probably had the whole deal, a live band and everything, servants walking around with little platters of, you know, stuff and champagne. Oh, we won't say that, we're in church. But uh, the older brother comes back to the house after working all day, you know, and he says, I didn't know we were going to have a party. And he says to one of the servants, what's, what's the occasion? And the servant said, your brother's returned and your father's throwing a party. And he's furious because he knows his brother has lost half the family fortune. He's brought shame upon the family name. And he says, you know, to the father, uh, how could you throw a party for him? But the father says, my son, your brother was lost, but now he's found. And the brother says, look, for all these years, I've worked so hard for you. You've never thrown a party for my friend. Do you know what the real issue was? The older brother had a religious spirit. The older brother saw the father and just thought, work, 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 work. He didn't understand his father's heart. In the opposite way, the younger brother didn't understand the father's heart. But the father responded to him and said, listen, Everything I have is yours. You could have had a party anytime you wanted it. And that is the picture of God the Father that Jesus gave us. God so loved the world that he gave his very best. He gave the only begotten Son. And there is just nothing but generosity and wholeness in the Father's love for you and I. Jesus said in John uh, 15, he said, or John 17, he said, This is eternal life, that, Father, they might know you. The kingdom of God is not just someday us going off to heaven, but it's a relationship, knowing the love of the Father. That is what eternal life at the heart of it really is. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. 
How blessed are those who long for him. And as we worship God the Father, as we pray to him in the name of Jesus, as we adapt our lives to the ways of God, the Father's blessings are just one after another after another. There is no end to his goodness. The fourth name that Isaiah gave Jesus is Prince of Peace. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be afraid. And as we look at the complex problems that can come our way, there can be such a fear factor that can result in depression, anxiety, anger sometimes. But Jesus said, in this world you will have problems. But he said, I have overcome. My peace I give to you. A number of years ago, uh, there was a, a group of Christian businessmen in the United States that were reaching out to ministries like mine, international ministries, and they were offering what they called kingdom investment opportunities. And they said, we want to raise money for the work you're doing. And so they asked us to invest some money. And I didn't feel good about it, so I didn't do it for two years. But one good friend of mine, he invested some money. And over two years, he gained uh, several million dollars that he invested in orphanages and Bible schools in Kenya and Ethiopia. And so they kept on me. Mark, you got to invest in this. It's a great opportunity. So finally, they called me up one day and said, Mark, we really believe in your ministry. We want to help you out. They said, we're going to give you $5,000, and you can do whatever you want with that, but we're hoping you will use that as an initial investment to invest in our investment fund because we want to raise money for what you're doing. So I said, my name is Jimmy. I'll take everything you'll give me. You know, uh, Here's where to send the check. But uh, we took that check, and we used it and to make an investment. And in just three months, that 5000 turned into almost $8,000. So this is incredible. So we invested a bit more of our money, and that came back even more. So then we're thinking, wow, this thing is real. And my wife and I took not a lot of money, but some money that we'd saved up over the years, uh, personal money, and we invested it. But also, we took some ministry money. And we invested that as well. And uh, everything seemed to be going well. In about three months, we're expecting the return. And then it turns into three and a half and almost four months. And then we got the bad news that this fund had grown so rapidly. It had grown to almost $150 million. Not our money, but the overall money. That uh, they would brought in another so-called Christian investor to help them out. And he had actually managed to abscond with the funds and put over stolen over $100 billion. That man ended up in jail uh, for about 10 years. I think he's out of jail now. But they suspect he still has about $70 million in the Bahamas or a Swiss bank account. But when we got the bad news, you know, I uh, remember getting the email late at night. You know, I'm thinking, wow. This, this is not good, but I had a good night's sleep. I actually forgot about it. And the next afternoon, I'm checking my emails, and there it is again. I thought, wow, I've got to tell my wife that we've just personally in our ministry lost thousands and thousands of dollars. But uh, you know what? The, the Lord was just so faithful. And the thing that stressed us the most over the loss of the money was we had made a commitment at the end of the year, to go to Malawi to buy a, a, a piece of land there to help a brand new church get started. And we were going to do a three-day outreach there, and we were going to provide food for everybody and buy this land for the church to get started. And we'd made a commitment to do that, and we took that commitment seriously. But all of a sudden, all the money we had saved up and a portion for that, it was gone. But miraculously, over just about a six-month period, what had taken several years to save up for this, the Lord replenished, and we were able to honor that commitment. And over the last, no, 15 years, of course, we've kind of missed that money we invested. But the Lord has been so good. He has provided. He has made up for that. And that no matter what the situation you may be in, no matter how big the loss There is, as Paul spoke about it, a peace that passes all understanding. 
And that peace is not based by how much money you have in the bank. It's not based on your job security. It's not based on how popular you are. It's not based on the accolades of man or how many awards you have. It's based on the love of God the Father through you, through Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people, because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of confusion in the world today about the difference between joy and happiness. The whole world is pursuing happiness. Uh, you know, the happy, happy, happy song a few years ago. It's, uh, everybody's pursuing happiness, but happiness is a very fleeting thing because happiness is based upon temporal things, based upon how much money or the new job, the new promotion or the award you won or something like that. Joy is different. Joy is not based upon external things. Joy is based on the eternal love of the Father for you. In fact, Paul said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And people think if they can just have enough money, a big enough house, a big enough this, big enough that, that it's going to bring joy to their hearts. But it's not the externals that change the internals. It's the internal that changes the external. And when you and I know the joy of the love of God the Father for you as your strength, that's when your internal begins to change other people's externals and begins to impact them. And this thing about the love of the Father, it is all-encompassing. And that's why Isaiah gave Jesus that last name, his eternal Father, because he is the perfect picture of what God the Father is like. And finally... As Isaiah, he went on to say, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. On the throne of God and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with just justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And, you know, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on that cross And even his disciples were scattered. But today there's over a billion people internationally that worship the name of Jesus. And his kingdom, his peace, even if this world with all the turmoil, all the questions, all the confusion, his peace knows no end to its increase or his government. There is a... uh, a guy and his, he and his wife, they live in Southampton. His name is Bob Light. And I want to, before we go into prayer, I want to tell you about Bob. And this happened about, gosh, many years ago, about 20 years ago. I was speaking at a conference in Southampton. And as I'm speaking, I'm looking at the crowd. And the Lord kind of zeroed in on this guy. And he looked, uh, he looked a little bit beaten up in life. But the Lord had me stop the message. I gave him a prophetic word. I had him stand up in the crowd. I said, sir, what's your name? And he said, Bob Light. And I said, Bob, this is what the Lord says to you. You do not need to be afraid that what happened in your past is going to happen in your future. In fact, where you used to be a victim, you're now, God's calling you to be a champion. And that's basically all I said. And so Some 10 years went by before I was back with that church in Southampton. We were doing a leaders conference. And uh, the pastor says to me, Mark, in the coffee break, uh, there's a guy that really wants to talk to you for about five minutes. And usually I think, oh, no, can't we get out of this? But uh, we sit down and we have coffee. And it's this man, Bob Light. And he said, Mark, do you remember Bob from when you were here 10 years ago and prophesied over him? I said, no. And he said, well, Bob wants to tell you his story. And Bob actually had a thin booklet describing his ministry. Bob, for over 25 years, had been a heroin addict in Southampton. He'd been arrested so many times. All the police knew Bob, even the 
the civic leaders knew Bob. He was their, their number one criminal, you know. And uh, what happened is Bob and his wife had a radical conversion and got set free from their drug addiction. But all of the, uh, the, uh, the drug dealers were constantly throwing d- drugs at Bob, trying to get him re-addicted because he was such a good customer. So the church helped Bob and his wife move to a different city for a couple of years as he got discipled. But then the Lord called him back to Southampton. And he'd now been in Southampton a few weeks. And one of the civic leaders came to Bob and said, Bob, uh, we're starting a halfway house to kind of help men and women who are addicted to drugs get off of drugs, a rehab center. And we need someone like you with your experience of drug addicts and the whole world to uh, manage it for us in the graveyard shift from like 12 o'clock at night to four o'clock in the morning to be there. And he said, one of your responsibilities is you'll have keys to the drug cabinets to help, you know, we're giving guys drugs to help wean them off the more serious addiction. And Bob looked at him and said, are you serious? You want to give me the treat keys to the drug cabinet? And so at one, two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, I'm facing that temptation. He said, I can't do that. But just a few weeks later, Bob's sitting in that church, and I prophesied, and I said, Bob, what you were a victim to in the past, you do not need to be afraid. It's not going to happen to you again. In fact, you're going to be a champion where you were a victim. So Bob ended up calling that civic leader up and said, I'll take the job. And for a couple of years, he worked there getting people cleaned up and set free from drug addiction. But then he and his wife, they went to the worst, uh, I think you call it council estate in Southampton, where he had grown up, where he had been, you know, just so notorious as a druggie. And they started a ministry reaching out to addicted teenagers and addicted people. And when I met Bob at that point, about eight years after he had started this, he said, Mark, in the last eight years, we've baptized over 100 teenagers who have given their lives to Christ. And my wife and I have seen hundreds of people addicted to drugs set free. And this is the working of the kingdom of God. This is the working out of the will of God that Jesus, this mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and this wonderful counselor, he takes what may be ashes in our lives and he gives us beauty instead. And when you've got ashes, all you've got is the waste from being destroyed. It's not good for anything. But the things that are impossible for God are never difficult. And the things that are impossible for us are never difficult for God. And when we give our lives to him, when we surrender our ways to him, he can even take the ashes, what's been destroyed in your life, and give you beauty. And so this week, tonight, <clears throat> Monday night, Tuesday night, we're going to be focusing on prayer. I'll be speaking short messages, and we're going to try to keep the meetings to about 90 minutes maximum so you can get home. I know a lot of you have to get up early in the morning for work, and you've got children responsibility. So we're going to keep them short and to the point, but we're going to be talking about the faithfulness of God and the power of God, the goodness of God. And uh, I have no doubt the Lord's going to do a number of healings and by the grace of God, even some miracles and things. But I want to encourage you that as a church, it's not just a time for you to come and get blessed, but it's a time for you to go into a deeper level of being a blesser yourself. And I know that um, in Taiwan, a few years ago, we did in the city of Taichung a conference on miracles. And they sent me a testimony about a week later that a lady who, she wasn't part of the ministry team, she had never prayed for many people for healing, she had never been used to release a healing or a miracle, but she came every day to the conference, and about five days later, she's sitting outside the pool hall where she went swimming a couple times a week for exercise. She's waiting for her husband to pick her up, and this older man at the end of the bench just falls right over, and uh, he stopped breathing. And through the plexiglass walls of the pool hall, the, the, the people that work there saw him collapse, and they run out, they're trying to do CPR, But as she's sitting there watching, the man's turning blue, and and the CPR isn't working. It looks like he's going to die. And she's just sitting there in her heart saying, oh, Lord, would you bless him? But then she said, wait a minute. I just sat for four days hearing about how God does miracles. So she reluctantly pushed her way through the group around him, put a hand upon his chest, and said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death, and I call you to life. And the old boy just sat up, breathing. (laughs) 
And uh, I thought about this. I said, you know, this isn't fair. It took me about four years just to see people with bad knees and bad backs healed. And now she's almost raising people from the dead, you know. But this is the time we're living in. We're living in a time of acceleration. And in many parts of the world, like even like in Iran right now, and nations like Syria, the gospel's moving so powerfully. And we're coming into a time of acceleration. So uh, without being manipulative, maybe just a little bit manipulative, I want to encourage you to try to um, set aside some time this week and see it as you make an investment in the kingdom, but realizing God's going to make a deposit in you that all of us can be used to extend the kingdom. Let's stand. Are you still alive? Dave, you didn't get the telephone number of the man who dropped off that 20 quid, did you? <laughs> Let's just, uh, I'm not going to pray a long time. Uh, we'll just do a little bit of ministry. But uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the testimony for decades that this church has had. And I even thank you for what your plans are for this season coming up. And Father, I proclaim your promises over this church, that for those who love you, you have more for them than their eyes have seen, more than their ears have heard, more than they can even begin to understand. And Father, I pray that uh, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, you will unpack things, not only for the lives of these men and women, but for the people of Darby, Lord God, who right now, some of them don't even know you. Would you unpack things for all of us, myself included, Lord God, that would take us into a whole nother dimension of understanding your goodness and your power. And Father, help us to realize, not only in these meetings, but in the years ahead, that the things that are impossible for man are never difficult for you. And that you call us to the work of simply believing you, believing in the name of Jesus and the authority that's in that name. Holy Spirit, even right now, would you fill people with your peace? I just want to do, give one simple invitation before I turn things back over to Dave. Um, I talked about the peace of God, and I know that there is a number of people here right now that you're in a very tumultuous situation. Maybe it's you're just uh, finding uh, it's a job situation that is just falling apart, or maybe you've been unemployed for a long time. Maybe you're going through a relationship crisis. Uh, we're going to be praying a lot for physical healings over the next uh, three nights. But maybe you're just in some sort of situation, relationship crisis, financial crisis, um, maybe things going on in your own soul. Or maybe, you know, you've had a long-term illness that is the doctors can't really heal. It's just getting worse rather than better. But if you're living right now with a lack of peace in your life, and as I described the peace of God that passes understanding, if in your heart you said, I need more of that, uh, I just want to invite you to come to the front right now. And this is not to embarrass anybody, but if you're going through a difficult time, and you need a release of the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Would you just, even if you're up in the balcony, just make your way down and come to the front right now. And we're just going to take a few moments and pray for people.